As I was thinking about what what we could consider this morning and asking the Holy Spirit to lead us, um, I'm at the beginning of my ministry with uh, GBM, so to speak. In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. GBM and the missionary organization that I've been with since 1989 have uh, have worked as a partnership the last 24 years, 25 years, and so we are by no means strangers. But yet, we're at, at the beginning here of something a little bit different. And for Bill and Lorraine, the beginning of something different. But I don't know about how many of you, this, this last year, it, it's kind of put us all in this position of what lies ahead. Where are we going from here? I don't know about you, but I've heard a lot of people talking about the virus and the unknown, the restrictions, the sickness, the death, the age of of uh, that we're living in, the politics, the unrest, the, the opinions that we hear coming out of the woodwork from every direction. And, and it's kind of, I don't know, people that I talk to are kind of like, oh man, I am just wore down by this last year. And, and I don't know how many of you are sharing that. Maybe you want to fly, you know, throw your hand up or something, but I think we're all a little tired of where we have been. And, and the question is, where do we go from here? Because we, we are living in a world that is changing, partially because of the virus, partially because of just how the world is kind of ramping up for something, I'm not sure what, but, but things are changing, and, and how do we deal with that? And then to, then to add to that, here a couple of weeks ago, I was counseling a young man who's, whose wife was struggling um, she has MS, and because of that, she used to be so active, and as a result, she can't be active anymore, and she's having trouble gaining weight and, and has a very low self-image, and he was saying, what can I tell her? What can I do? Because I, I love her, and I will always love her, but I can't seem to communicate that in a way that is encouraging for her. And I tell you, the, the scripture that came to mind is a scripture for all of us. It's a scripture for us as we look out what lies ahead. And it's a scripture that has really become important to me since about six or eight years ago, I had a heart attack. And, um, and I can remember it was kind of, it was kind of one of those deals where I, I suppose full disclosures in order. I had the heart attack as I was getting out of a race car and my wife had bought me time on a racetrack in Iowa and I'd just been going 150 mile an hour and it was 110 degrees and, and I had a restriction in an artery and it, it just, it put me down in the hospital. So too much excitement, I guess. Anyway, um, as we were driving to the hospital, and it was her turn to be a race car driver, um, <laughs> I was thinking as I was holding my arm and my chest, hey, cool, I might get to go be in heaven today. You know, God, I may, I may, this day may close with me around the throne of God. Way cool. And then I, got, then I thought, uh-oh, Cindy's going to kill me. <laughs> so I said, okay, Lord, it's up to you. Whether I stay or whether I go, I leave it in your hands. And whatever you want to do with me, if I stay, that's fine. But uh, just know I'm, I'm excited either way. Now, that was the way I looked at my heart attack. When I got back to church... I walked in and I talked to one of the older men in the congregation and, and he says, well, how are you doing? And I said, well, 
got a stint, got a couple of stints, and and I guess I'm I'm pretty good to go for a while. And he says, "But but how are you doing?" I said, "Well, you know, I was kind of looking forward to heaven too, you know. So I guess I'm doing okay." He says, "Well, it's good that you're still around, and and that's better than the alternative." And that that line really stuck with me. Better than the alternative. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's that's not the way I was looking at it. The alternative was I got to be in heaven. And now I'm stuck here for however long. <laughs> now it's it's a little better than that. I love my wife and I love being with her. But I'm also looking forward to heaven. But that's what came to mind as I was counseling this young man and his bride in that in that uh, so many of us have that attitude of, well, it's better to be vertical or it's better to be on this side of the grave. But it's not. This is a temporary dwelling. This is just for now. And so as I was, as I was telling him, I said, you know, there is a passage of Scripture that, that kind of deals with this. And, and then it's kind of cool. You know, the Holy Spirit just, he's always at work. And, and as I was putting together this message, it suddenly dawned on me that where I was looking was 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 5, and 6. But my, kind of my theme verse for life is in 1 Peter 3, and we'll get to that. But then this week I was producing the program for uh, the Christian's Hour, and the speaker, Mike Bro was talking about faithfulness and God's promises. And he was preaching out of Hebrews and Galatians, and both of them parallel the same thoughts I was having. You know, I, I think there's something going on in this book. Everybody's kind of trying to get across the same point, I think. But what I saw was what God wants for us is a mentality that I'm not sure even some of us with gray hair have even yet grasp what God is trying to get across to us. And that is we need to look for what lies ahead. When, when I was about five years old, um, we used to go back to Indiana, where's where my parents were from, every year for two weeks at my grandparents. And that meant going to the farm and getting to drive tractors and, oh man, it was heaven, sort of. Not quite, but I loved being there, you know, and Grandma and Grandma, they would just spoil me rotten. And every year, like clockwork, we'd get up that last day, and my brother and I, both sick as a dog, throwing up and just, just, bleh. it was terrible. We had a 12-hour drive home, sick, and, you know, it was not, wasn't much fun for Mom and Dad either, you know. But that went on for several years before I finally... It's kind of funny, you wouldn't think, you know, six, seven, eight-year-old kid would figure this out, but it suddenly dawned on me, I was making myself sick because I was dreading going back to where we were living, not because it was a terrible place, but because I just loved the farm so much. And what changed was my mental attitude. I started picking out something that I wanted to do when I got home before we left. And I would pick that out, and I would think about that. And then when it came time for vacation to be over and we had to go home, I would think, oh, yeah, I was going to do that. And you know what? I didn't get sick no more. Well, what do you know? 
Now, that's, in a child's mind, a little psychology there, but that's exactly what God's Word says for us. We spend so much of our lives getting ourselves all worked up and sick about dying and about what lies after that we dread death and we're willing to spend all kinds of money, thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars to avoid getting whatever and, and dying from it. We, this last year with the virus, everybody was dreading, oh my, I'll get the virus, I'll die. And, and unfortunately... As Christians, we had the same mentality as the rest of the world. Now, that doesn't mean we all want to end up being suicidal. But we do need to kind of do a checkup on what lies ahead. The passage that we're looking at this morning is in, found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul is writing this at a period of time in history that is just before, I mean, there's already persecution, but a really big persecution is is getting ready to come up. In fact, 1 Peter's the same boat, kind of why I think some of there's a lot of parallels going on, because Peter was written in about 60, 70 AD when Nero was coming to power, and things were going to turn really bad for the Christians. And so both these guys are trying trying to prepare the church for what is to come, what lies ahead. And I love how they prepare for it. Did they say, well, get yourself some armor and some big locks for your doors and, uh, and try to lay low? No, no. There, there's some of that in there about when possible, obey the laws of the land and respect authority. So there, there's some of that in there. But for the most part, there is a whole different mentality of what's going on here. And I I like the way that Paul sets the stage for this in chapter 4 because he paints a picture not so different from how we are here. He's talking about the God of this age has blinded the mind of the believers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel for the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light to shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Any of you ever kind of feel that way? After this last year, man, I tell you what, at every turn, Satan has done his best to try to get the grips on us. And, uh, and I tell you what, I've been, I got COVID, was one of the lucky ones, back in November, and it was no picnic. I didn't end up in the hospital, but I did put my wife into kind of a panic the night that my temperature hit 105. And, uh, and so it, it was not a fun year. And I still don't have taste, smell, and by 6, 7 o'clock in the evening, I am done for the day. That's all left over from that. It's not been a good year. Jars of clay, not real strong, easily broken. You get the picture? That's where a lot of us are. And I know a lot of us have, have lived in some sort of fear over the year about whether or not we're going to get sick with this thing or have to put up with it or if we got it, whether we'll give it to somebody else. Um, you know, there's all the, there's just a lot of arguing going on about whether or not we have to wear a mask or we should have wore a mask or especially before vaccination. Um, you know, cause unfortunately most people I heard, it was more about, I don't want to get it. Nothing about, I don't want to give it. 
You know, as Christians, we're supposed to be thinking of others. I just thought I'd throw that in there for you, charge. Um, but it's been, it's been a tough year. And, and Paul says, all of these things are going on trying to crush us, trying to break us. But, essentially, this is what he says. He says, I've, here's what you need to do. You need to get a new attitude. You need to get, well, more than an attitude, he says... In uh, chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, verses 16 through 18, he says this, Therefore we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Anybody want a piece of that? (laughs) Yeah, I like that whole renewal idea. That's, That's pretty cool. So we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, he's trying to put it in perspective here, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, what did he, he do there? He, he took our eyes off of this and moved our eyes up here. Okay. In fact, I like Paul. He's so obvious. And one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible is, is found in Ephesians uh, chapter 3, I think it is, 2 or 3. Two, three where he says, do you get how long and wide and high and deep is the love of Christ? I think I would have got along with Paul. He, he likes to over-exaggerate. My wife says that. You're exaggerating again. But that's the way, that's the way Paul is. I like the way this is. So here, he's kind of in this, this frame of mind of, okay, now if this isn't obvious enough, let me say it this way. So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. And, and this, this, path, this verse isn't in the verses I gave you guys, but, but I it just kind of happened on this this last week that it's kind of cool what he says. You, you remember, and, in, and especially the Jews would get a kick out of this, You remember when the Israelites were going from Egypt to the promised land and God had them build his, put his presence among them in the Holy of Holies? What did they have? What was it called? A tabernacle, right? Yeah. What'd that mean? Dwelling place, but more than that, what was it built out of? It was a big tent, wasn't it? Mobile, kind of a mobile church. Yeah. And then when they got to Jerusalem, the dream that David wanted and that Solomon finally got to fulfill was to build the temple. Yeah. What's the difference? Stationary. Very big chunks of marble. Cedars of Lebanon type stuff. Okay. So temporary, supposed to be more permanent. I like what Paul says. He says, now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not made by human hands. So just just kind of on the side, it's kind of neat what Paul does there with the play of words. This is a tent, temporary. God is making a dwelling for us. Our new bodies going to be permanent, eternal. Way cool, huh? Yeah. So Well, let's get back to this. Fix your eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Those are the the promises of God. This is all about focus. 
when when I was learning to fly, and you get up you get up in an airplane, and and you're the and you're learning to be a pilot. What you see below you is probably different than what most of you see when you do it, because you're doing everything comparing it to the map, trying to figure out where you're at, navigation, this kind of stuff. When we got ready to go to the mission field in 1989, I learned to fly out in Nebraska, okay? In Nebraska, your biggest worry, if you have an engine out, is with my instructor, it was make sure you set the gear down between the rows of crops so you don't make the farmer mad. (laughs) That was our biggest worry, because the fields were flat and it was no big deal, okay? Probably not the best preparation for flying in the jungles and the mountains of the Philippines. So we went to um, Moody Bible Institute back in, that, back in those days out in Elizabethton, Tennessee. Had a pilot training school to learn how to fly on the mission field and how to be a mechanic. And so we went out there. And there we learned to navigate in the mountains and the jungles and all this kind of stuff. And our, just before graduation, we took a long cross country and we flew out to California and back. Okay. And so all the, I was a little different in that I had already been flying for years and I was just kind of polishing mine up. Most of the guys in my class had never flown before Moody. And so all of their flying experience were the hills of Tennessee. And so we went on this long cross country and on the way back, the instructor was giving us projects like, okay, there on the map, he draw a circle. He says, there's a windmill there. Find it for me. And I, know, I tell you, it was funny. Those guys that had learned to fly in Tennessee, they were like, oh, how do you find that? Look at this. It's all flat farm fields. How do you find a windmill? And I said, but for me, it was like, oh, okay, well, we're right here because that's where the interstate crosses the river and the, and the windmill's over here. So let's see, that's, uh, I got my, per, the, my measuring uh, stick out and okay, so that's, uh, 15 miles this way and 25 miles that way. And so I just started counting squares. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There it is. I can see it from here. And those guys, how'd you do that? It's all a perspective. It's all your focus. It's what you learn. And that's the way it is for us as Christians. Now, this is important. I want you to hold this thought because we're going to come back to it. Fix your eyes on what is unseen, the eternal, the spiritual. Okay, so Paul says, now, there are three things that you need to, to work on in your hearts and lives to help this become, uh, to help accomplish this. And he says the first one is, in verses uh, 4 through 7 of chapter 5, as we progress down through the passage, he says um, in verse 4, for we, while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we don't wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now God, who has made us for this very purpose, has given us his spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. What he is saying there is he is wanting us to, well, I guess I didn't read far enough. Let me go on down just a little bit further. For therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith and not by sight. Okay, so the, the goal is to get our eyes off of what is seen onto what is unseen. Step one, learn to live by faith. We need to learn to live by faith. Um, I kind of like to kind of look at it this way. We need to do a, a makeover of our lives. Uh, and for some of us, it will be an extreme makeover of our lives to live by faith. Now, I don't mean, 
I don't mean wishy-washy faith, pie-in-the-sky faith. I'm talking about put your money where your mouth is faith. The kind of faith that begins to have expectations built on the promises of God. Expectations built on the promises of God. Living by faith. Expecting for God to do in us what he says he will do. God has promised to watch over us. He's promised to take care of us in a spiritual sense. He's promised a lot of things for us. We have to walk in faith expecting those promises. Man, I tell you what, you get into the book of Hebrews, it talks a lot about that. Especially in the 11th chapter. You remember the the lineup of faith? By faith Abraham, by faith Sarah, by faith so on and so forth. They all lived for faith and it says that they didn't even get to see what was coming until after they had died. That's the kind of faith God wants us to have. The kind of faith that expects his promises to come true. Secondly, he says in chapter 5 verses 9 and 10 that we need to make it our goal to please him. In uh, 9 and 10 he says this, so we make it our goal to please him. Hey, I think I just said that. Whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one of us may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, good or bad. So we're going to walk by faith. We're going to trust God's promises. And we're going to do it with an excitement, with this, this vision of what is unseen, so that our entire life is so wrapped up in God that our existence is to please him. I, uh, some of my favorite pictures that pop up on my uh, screensaver are pictures of the kids when they were little. My son was the greatest at this. My daughter, she was a little more resistant. The son, he was always seeking to please dad. Anything he could do. And with him, if he did something wrong, all you had to do was look at him with a mean face and he'd just come undone. He'd melt because he was all about pleasing his dad. And if I asked him to do something, it was, you know, if I said jump, he'd say how high. I mean, that's, that was kind of his attitude. That's the attitude we're to have for our heavenly father. Instead of finding fault in everything we have to do as a Christian, our hearts, if we're walking in faith and we've got our eyes set on God, then everything that we get to do, we get to do. You see what I'm saying? We don't have to do it. We get to do it. And we do whatever it is, trusting God that he'll see us through it. And and God has an incredible way of being there just for us. Prime example, I used it this morning. Sorry for those of you that were here this morning, get to hear it again. I told God I would never be a preacher. And the reason I told him that is I grew up a preacher's kid, and I didn't want to get in front of people. I said, I'll I'll be on radio. I can hide behind the microphone. But when we got to Tennessee for pilot school, um, there was a call for somebody to come up and fill the pulpit for a couple of weeks and teach. And so I was willing to do that. Well, a couple of weeks turned into three years. And it was all week by week. It was kind of funny. Every Sunday... Um, the old, the oldest elder would always come up to me. Well, preacher, that weren't half bad. Can you come back next week? (laughs) So three years of preaching week by week. And I can't help, but believe that God 
was thinking or maybe saying to the angels, you know, don't ever say there's something you won't do. Because by my power, anything is possible. Did it with Moses. Did it with Noah. Can you imagine Noah? You want me to build a what? I mean, stop and think about these guys. And then on top of it, you know, poor Noah, he's 500 years old. And Moses, he's 80. You know, what lies ahead? It's whatever God wants it to be. You see what I'm saying? We want to please God. So some of you folks that are going into retirement, you're not done yet. Okay. That goes for the rest of you too. That may be close to retirement. You're not done yet. God still may, I don't know what he's got in plans for you, but don't, don't, uh, don't quit looking for what God has in store for you next. So we make over our life to faith, not by sight. We walk in faith. We make it our goal to please God in obedience. And then in verses 14 through 17, he wants us to, because Christ's love compels us. Now, these examples that Paul is giving are actually examples from Paul's life. They're not necessarily him saying, thou shalt. He's saying, this is how God has been at work in my life. Read the example, follow it, okay? So just in case you get to studying that and you think, well, now, wait a minute, these aren't really thou shalts. But he does say, especially Paul, I am compelled, uh, Christ's love compels us. I, and I was trying to figure this one out as I got to looking at it. It really comes down to this, that we are, because we have our eyes set on the unseen, because we're walking by faith, because we want to please God, we are going to be convinced that we need to do something about it. And that something is love. And, and it's kind of like this, that we let the enormity of Christ's act of love for us to drive us in everything we do. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 says, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these? Love, yeah. We are to love. And our love is to be driven by the example that Christ has set for us. So I don't know whether you're catching the drift here of where we're headed. Maybe the wake. We're, we're headed toward God. That's where we've got our eyes set. Don't be like the guy that I had driver's training with. We had a guy in my driver's training class. He was scary. There were, there were three of us in the car. Two of us had been around farm machinery and driven tractors and pickups, and so it was not a big deal. Third guy, never been in a vehicle, hardly, except the back seat. And whenever he would drive down the road, it was great. You could see it happening from the back seat. He'd be driving down the road and something would catch his attention. So first thing that would happen, his eyes would go there. Then pretty soon his head would go there. But when he turned his head, his shoulders went like this. We ended up in the ditch more than once. (laughs) Because he would look, his shoulders would twitch, the car would go, and there we are. That's the way the Christian walk is. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Now in this case, it is what is unseen. Walk there by faith. Walk there in an obedience that wants us to do what God wants us to do and be motivated by love. Okay, we need to boil this all down. So, it's all boiled down to this. God has given us promises. All through this passage, um, he gives promises. In four, chapter 4, verse 14, 
He promises, he says that we know the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise with us Jesus. In chapter 5, verse 5, he says, it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. In chapter 5, verse 21, he said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And in chapter 6, verse 18, he says, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And then in chapter 7, still continuing this theme that Paul has started and he just keeps coming back to it, he says, since we have these promises, dear friends... Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. God has given us these promises. So if we put this together so that it all fits, we fix our eyes what is on what is unseen, on heavenly things, on God, on heaven, on God's promises. And by faith we walk toward them. We make it our goal to please God along the way and to further this change in us that is going to make us different from the rest of the world and that we are going to be motivated and convicted and convinced by love, the love of Christ demonstrated for us so that we demonstrate it for others. And we're doing it because of the promises of God. I really like how one of our, uh, uh, this week our, Our speaker on the Christian's Hour, Mike Bro, I love the way he says it. So I'm going to quote him here. Now, this is a little bit of a lengthy quote, so stick with me, all right? All right? Speaking of Hebrews 11, he says, They were looking for a heavenly homeland, and that's why God has not ashamed them to call him their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And that is what he promised us, a better place, a heavenly homeland, a city without pandemics and political chaos. No need for lockdowns, a mask, testing, hospitals, or vaccines. A perfect place without a hint of evil. A place where only goodness and love are present. A place where every tongue and tribe and nation will gather and praise Jesus Christ, the promised one, who restored the broken relationship with people like us, sinners that is, so that we can live with him forever until that day. Guess what else he promises? He promises his presence and his peace. He promises to give us wisdom and direction. He promises to give us a spirit that will produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faithfulness and self-control inside of us. He promises to make a way to escape any temptation. He promises to finish all the good stuff he started on the inside of us. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. He promises that nothing will ever be able to separate us from his unfailing love. He promises an inheritance in heaven. He promises that he's coming back again someday to make all things new. That's God's promise, and you can believe him. He will never lie to you or con you or cheat you. He won't ghost you, mislead you, or mistreat you. He won't tell you one thing and do another. He won't scheme, coerce, or try to cover his tracks because he's not like that. You can believe him. He is true to his word. He never breaks it, ever. His yes is his yes. Through every endeavor, he doesn't have to swear to God because he is the great I am. 
the one who saved the world through Abraham. He won't breach a contract, surprise you with a fine print, because in his character there is not a hint of deceit or malice or shadiness or guile. His word is his bond, and not just for a while, but forever and ever he remains the same. The faithful one, the name above all names, the promise keeper, whose mercies are new every morning all day long. He's thinking of you and he calls you to believe in his unshakable love until you see him face to face in heaven above. You can believe him. You can walk by faith. But don't just believe in him. Believe him. See the difference? Know him. Know him as your father, faithful God. Be convinced in the reliability of God, for he is the very definition of faith. Walk in faith. Walk in hope. I think that's what Paul's trying to say here. Paul says it this way. He says that we are to consider others of this world differently through the eyes of Christ. He says that that we are to see the world around us through spiritual eyes. Now, you see what's happened here? Fixing our eyes on what is unseen. Walking in faith, following after God, obeying his promises, trying to please him. We are doing so motivated by love because Christ's love compels us And then, when we pull our eyes down out of heaven, we don't see the hurt, the pain that we're afraid of. We see a world that is lost in this situation. And they don't have the view we have. I think that's why Paul says in 1 Peter 3, 15, he says, Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have within you. Do it with gentleness and respect. But always be ready because the people you're seeing, they're zombies lost in this world. And if you don't see them that way, it's because you haven't quite tweaked your view of heaven yet. So what lies ahead? Jesus on the throne of God. Man, if we could only have God's perspective You know, God knew what was going to happen before he even started creation. When he was sitting on his throne, he said, eh, maybe we'll create a universe today. And then he got to thinking, you know, it's going to cost us. Because if we want the relationship with these guys we're going to create, it's going to end up being messed up, and Jesus, you're going to have to go and give your life. And they went through with it anyway. Before creation, they had it all planned out. God's big picture. God wants us to have that same picture, to get our eyes off of our momentary troubles, our jars of clay, and get our eyes fixed on heaven, on Jesus seated at the right hand of God. Man, your homework for today is go home and read Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2, because Paul really likes to pound it in there. Jesus is at the right hand of God waiting for us. Let's renew our outlook. Let's refocus our view so that when trials on this earth come, instead of saying, I'm scared to death, we say, heaven awaits. Praise be to the Lord. And if God, you'll release me from my current responsibilities, I'm glad to be in your presence. 
And you'll get the answer, I'll guarantee you, one way or another. But you see, when we have that attitude, if we stay, it's with a different insight. I could have been in heaven, but I'm still here, so God's got a purpose for me. I need to do what he wants me to do. I am compelled to obey him and to share with those who have never heard. When I look out and I see Filipinos or uh, Thailand people or Burmese people or Chinese people, I see people who are the children of God or need to be. And they need to hear a message that I have, even if they don't want to see it or hear it. It's because they're caught up in a world of darkness that Satan has put them in. And we have the answer, church. We have the light of God. Let's live like it.